Welcome to the Gateway.Live podcast. We're so glad you're here. We pray that God speaks to you through this message and through his word today. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.gatewaylife.com. Now let's tune in. As we talk about connection this week, the title of this message is What Kills Connection? What kills connection? I'm going to give you four things that you and I, when we do them, it kills the connection God created us to experience with one another, all right? And here's the first thing that kills connection. When I am a pretender, when I am a pretender, Romans chapter 12 verse 9 says, don't just pretend to love others really or actually love them hate what is wrong hold tightly to what is good now here's kind of the important question what is fake love what is pretend love what does it look like in the context of the church i'll tell you here's what i call it i call it lobby love fake love is lobby love and here's what lobby love is when i only show love to you when i bump into you this lobby love oh love you brother love you sister pat in the back hug so great to see love you oh i love you where are you wednesday when i hit the wall i i need that hug and love on wednesday don't just pretend to love others scripture says actually love them now there are four types of love and if you're taking notes i want you to write these four down the first is eros uh, and this is the romantic love okay this is the love a husband and a wife were created to experience a romantic love the second type of love is philia which is brotherly love philadelphia the city of brotherly love a a brotherly affection the third is storgy and that is a, a familial love brother and sister father and son Mother, daughter, it's a familial love. But the highest level of love, and you've probably heard this level, is called agape love. And here's the way I would describe it. It's selfless, unconditional love. Selfless, unconditional love. Now, understand something about love. Love is the central nervous system of the Christian life, without which nothing works as God intended without love nothing works the way god intended it to work now i'm going to show you what is called the love chapter all right i'm just going to read you the first couple of verses so that you can see just how essential real love is in the family of god first corinthians chapter 13 verse 1 says if i could speak all the languages of earth and of angels but didn't love others, I would be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy and I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, but if I had such, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains, but I didn't love others, I would be nothing. Look at that resume of incredible things. If I did all of these things, but didn't love others, I would be nothing 
Verse 3, if I gave everything I have to the poor and sacrificed my body, I could boast about it, but if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Okay, here's where we get off a little bit on this chapter called the love chapter. Most think, because then it goes on and says love is patient, love is kind, and it goes down the laundry list of what love is. But too many people think that the context of the love chapter is married people. The context of this chapter is not married people. The context of 1 Corinthians 13 is God's people, not married people. This is describing the kind of love we are to have for one another, not just for our spouses. It's agape love, a selfless, unconditional love. Love is the engine that everything in God's kingdom runs around. Well, Preston, how can you say that theologically? Because God is love. It's pretty simple to say. And think about what Jesus says about how important our love for one another is. He says in John 13, verse 34, so now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. This is speaking to believers, not married people. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another, Jesus says, will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Listen, Jesus did not die for lobby love. He didn't. Jesus died for agape love. Not just to extend that love to us, but also that we might extend that love one to another in the house of the Lord. He says, listen, the way the world will know you're my disciples is by watching how you love one another within the family of God. When we settle for pretend love, love you brother, love you sister, and then don't say anything to one another during the week. We've settled for lobby love, that's pretend love. That is not the kind of love Jesus has called us to. We've got to stop, as the kids would say, tripping. Got to stop tripping. No more pretend love. Here's the second thing we do that causes us to kill connection. Point number two, when I'm too proud. When I am too proud, it kills connection. Now, pride is extremely easy to sniff out in the context of groups within the church, okay? Because pride has a sound. And you might be thinking, well, what does pride sound like in groups within the context of the church? Well, it sounds like a statement. And here it is. I just didn't connect with anybody in my group. When I ask, hey, how's your group going? Oh, I'm not going anymore because I just didn't connect with anybody. Now I'm not going to ask who among us has said that because I have said that before without realizing that that is a form of pride. Here's what I'm saying when I say I just didn't connect with anybody in my group. I am saying, you know what, I just didn't find anybody in that group made in my image. I didn't like that group because I didn't find anybody that looked like me, talked like me, sounds like me, lives like me. You know, somebody made in my image. I'm kind of frustrated with that group because I, I went and checked them all out and all they were was made in God's image. 
That's what we're saying when we say, I just didn't connect with anybody. Pride is when you become so impressed with your image that you forget you were created in his. I just, I just didn't connect with any. Proverbs 30 verse 13 speaks to those of us when we say, I just didn't connect with anybody and use that as our excuse not to be around God's people. It says this, don't be stuck up and think you're better than everyone else. Why? Why would scripture tell us not to be stuck up and think we're better than everyone else? Here's why. Because when we think we're better than everyone else, we withdraw from everyone else. When we withdraw from everyone else, we miss out on the gifts he's put inside of everybody else. Here's another way to say it. When I fixate on my favorite things about me, I miss seeing God's favorite things about you. When I miss seeing God's favorite things about you, here's what I'm doing. I'm undervaluing you. When I overvalue me, I will always undervalue you. So here's the big question. How do I keep from overvaluing myself? How do I make sure I'm not overvaluing myself? Well, the Bible tells us. Look in Romans chapter 12, verse 3. It says, don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith God has given you. Okay, how do you make sure that you're not overvaluing yourself? Romans 12, 3 tells us this is what you do. Be honest in your evaluation of yourself. Now, the problem with this is that most of us like to lie to ourselves about ourselves, but we call it the truth. We look in the mirror and we, we like to focus on our strengths, paying no attention to our weaknesses. That's not honest self-assessment. Here's one of the benefits, though, of, of an honest self-assessment. It's only when you're honest in your evaluation of yourself that you truly learn how much you need the rest of us. Only an honest evaluation of yourself. Is it truly obvious how much you need the rest of us? You need us. And we need you. What's the best way, though, to assess, honestly assess ourselves? Well, I've basically told you. Don't just evaluate your strength. Evaluate your whole life. Isn't it interesting that when it comes to judging ourselves and judging others, we love to judge ourselves by our intentions and everybody else by their actions? We like to judge ourselves by our strengths and everybody else by their weaknesses. Why? Well, that's the MO of an insecure person. But as sons and daughters of God, we've been created to see the value God placed in one another. That doesn't mean, one, one of my favorite people, Pastor Brad Larson, always says, he loves to say this, I matter and you matter. We both matter. It's not you matter and I don't. It's not I matter and you don't. As sons and daughters of God, we both matter. But when we walk in pride, we're just focused on me mattering. Now think about 
how God might take this when we have that. I just don't connect with people who don't look like me. And I love that it's MLK weekend that we're talking about this. God has such a great sense of humor because I didn't plan it. Think about how God must feel when we walk away from a group of his children and we say, I just didn't connect with anybody because they weren't like me. That would be the equivalent of having a child and in the delivery room when the child is birthed and you see the baby pop out and it looks like your spouse, not you. It would be like this. You looking at the child and going, I don't want that thing. And the doctor going, what, what, you, you don't want your son? Yeah, I don't want that thing. That's not my son. That's a thing. Why is that a thing? Because he looks like my wife, not me. That's offensive to me. It kind of sounds silly, doesn't it? We would never walk away from one of our children saying, I don't want to be around you because you don't look like me. You're not like me. Okay, if we would never do that to one of our children, why would we do that to one of God's children? Can you imagine how God feels when we walk out of a room filled with his kids and go, I didn't like anybody in that room because they just, they weren't like me. It's the equivalent of looking at God's creation and saying, I think you screwed up on that group. It's pride. And we cannot walk in it. Here's the third thing that we do that kills connection. Point number three, when I am my favorite priority. When I am my favorite priority. There's a word for this. It's called selfish. Right? When we're selfish. See, many of us use the word busy. It's not really what we mean. It's just more politically correct to say, I'm too busy. No, I'm just too selfish. I've made time for these other things. I've just chosen not to make time for these people. It's selfish. I, this is like steel toe boots. I know. Listen, it was hard for me to walk through all week because I felt like th there are times when I'm studying it and it's like the Lord just goes like this. You know when he cocks his head sideways, when you feel like he's kind of going like this? Like Preston, you know this message is at you, right? Yeah, okay, I get it. I know it's a little tough, but listen, these are the things that killed the connection God created us to have, and we've got to have an honest conversation about them. And selfishness is one of the biggest. This should be easy for us, though, in God's kingdom. Why? Because Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, seek first the kingdom of God. Not seek yourself first, Preston. Seek first the kingdom of God. Yet for many believers, this is one of the biggest temptations in life, to live a me-first life. And let me let you in on a little secret. The most miserable life is the me-first life. Period, point blank. Think about this. God tries to make it obvious. Jesus tries to tell us point blank. Listen, if you will seek my kingdom first, as though it were a first domino, all these other things shall be added unto you. If the kingdom is your first domino, all these other dominoes fall. But if, Preston, you are your first domino, ain't no other dominoes fall. Here's another way to say it. When you seek yourself first, 
not only are none of those things added unto you, but far too many things are subtracted from you. When I live in me first life, I miss out on the beautiful gifts God puts around me and the people he's placed in my life. But I rob myself of the opportunity to open those gifts when I leave, live a me first life. Philippians chapter 2 verse 3 says, don't be selfish, Preston. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. Now, if I were writing a commentary on Philippians chapter 2 verse 4, I would say this. I, I, not if I were writing scripture, I would just, if I were writing a commentary, all right, about this verse, I would say it like this. Make others your favorite hobby. That's what this is, is trying to convey. Don't look out only for your interests, the things you care about, you're interested in, but take an interest in others too. Now, this resonates me, with me because I'm a hobby guy. If you know me, I am a hobby guy and I am passionate about my hobbies. When others become your hobby, you become obsessive about investing in them. Now think about this. Now one of my favorite hobbies is hunting. Now that might offend you. I apologize, I'm not trying to offend you, but I take literally when God said, I'm giving man dominion over the earth. Okay, Jesus, I'll shoot deer. And I, I just figured, not, not to offend you if, if you're a rice cakes kind of a person, that's okay. You know, I'm just playing. Some of my friends are like that. Some of my family is like that. But here's what I, how I think about it. If God didn't want me to eat venison, he would have made it inedible. Right? But deer jerky is life-changing. Therefore, I shall deer hunt. Nonetheless, I love hunting. And sometimes in my free time, just to experience a measure of a lightened load and peace, I'll go walk around Cabela's and just try on camouflage. <laughs> and occasionally, and my wife is in the service, but occasionally I will invest in said camouflage. Maybe I have a closet full of like 12 different types of camouflage. I don't know. I love it. I invest in it. We talked about this last week. Jesus said, hey, wherever your treasure is, your heart will be there also, right? Okay, I have some treasure in that hunting closet of mine. That's my excuse why so much of my heart is in there. I'm like, babe, I love this. And when I love something, I invest in it. Okay, listen, this is kind of hard. But if we're not investing in the people around us, especially family of God, we're making a statement about just how much we love the family of God. Romans chapter 12 verse 10 says, love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. This word delight literally means to make each other expensively valuable. That means to take my treasure and put some of it in you. 
That's what love looks like. That's what real connection looks like. If you're not getting any of my treasure, my time, my gifting, what God's put me on the earth to do, if you're not getting any of that, not only are you not getting my heart, you're not really getting my love. Now, how do I know I'm being selfish versus selfless? It's pretty simple to know. I know I'm being selfish when my focus is on what I want. I know I'm being selfless when my focus is on what you need. Romans chapter 12, verse 15 says, Be happy with those who are happy. Weep with those who weep. Make it about others. If someone this week in your life is weeping, cry with them. And don't pretend to. Feel the weight of what they're experiencing. Put yourself right there with them. If they're ecstatic, you be ecstatic. Listen, here's another way to basically say this. God did not create the universe to revolve around you. And Jesus did not lay down his life so you could live for yourself. Jesus did not die for you so you could live for you. Jesus died for you and me so that we could live for him. Here's the fourth thing, and this is kind of the most sensitive of the four. The fourth thing that kills connection is when I have open wounds. When I have open wounds. Romans chapter 12 verse 19 says something really interesting in this passage that's in part dealing with relationship in the house of the Lord. It says, dear friends, never take revenge. Okay, it seems kind of out of place when you read the whole passage. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge, I will pay them back, says the Lord. Okay, how do you know you have an open wound? Well, one of the ways is that you desire revenge. If when I read Romans chapter 12, verse 19 and 20, where God says, hey, leave revenge to me, I'll take revenge. If a part of you went, that's what I'm talking about. I'll tell you why. It's because you have an open wound. One of the evidences, one of the biggest evidences of an open wound is a desire for revenge. Now I'm going to talk about some hurt that I've been through. Okay, at the end of this point. So if, if you've been through some relational pain, some use the word rejection. First, let me tell you, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that someone hurt you. But I'm telling you right now, the worst thing you could do right now is use the pain of your past as a reason not to experience relationship today, tomorrow, and all the days of your life. My best friend, Tim Ross, has taught me more about this than anybody on the planet. He's spoken here before. Everybody loves him. He's my twin. He is. I'm dead serious. We say that all the time. I'm just taller. But when my best friend was young, 
someone tried to steal his innocence physically. They took his innocence for a season. And I've never had a relationship in 40 plus years of life on this earth like I have with Tim Ross. And you know how easy it would have been for him when we met? And it was a divine encounter. God put us together. We didn't even know the other existed. But you know how easy it would have been for him to say, listen, that guy in my past stole from me. Preston's going to do it too. And that's how the enemy whispers to try and keep us from those divine relationships God puts in our life. The enemy points to the pain of our past. Hey, someone stole from you there. Someone hurt you back there. So don't have any relationship here. No. That's how I know I have an open wound. When I become defensive and cautious and keep everybody at a distance, we weren't created for that. We were created to connect. Now, if you've been hurt, let me read you a passage that's really, really sweet for those of us who have had our hearts broken relationally before. Psalm 34, verse 18 says, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. The Lord delivers us out of them all. But before that, he comes close to the brokenhearted. Those whose hearts have been crushed. The Lord comes near to us. But you have to really pay attention to this passage and see, he doesn't just draw close to us. He delivers us from that affliction. And here's the picture. Jesus doesn't come to you when you've had your heart broken. Sit down Indian style and say, let's cry about it until I come back. He says, I, I know how you feel. I'm so sorry. I'm sorry they broke your heart. But I need you to do something for me. I can't have you stay in the valley of victimization. I need you to get up because I've got some things I need you to do down the road and some people I need you to cross paths with. I need you to get up from this pain, this broken heart, and move on. I'm not saying don't deal with it. I'm just saying don't waller in the valley of victimization because when I do, I miss out on the valuable friendship staring me in the face because my open wound is so raw. Rejection doesn't mean, for those of you who've been rejected, and trust me, I have plenty of times. Rejection doesn't mean you're unlovable. Rejection actually means you're in great company. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 3, speaking of Jesus, says, He was despised and rejected by men. Jesus, the Savior of the world. This is speaking prophetically. Jesus was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. If you've had your heart broken, Jesus knows exactly how you feel. If you've been rejected relationally, Jesus knows exactly how you feel. He didn't stay there. And you can't either. 
Now think about this. What would it have been like after Jesus, remember, he says, Father, why have you forsaken me? Think about this. This is going to kind of make us laugh. It's not heresy, but just think about it. It didn't happen. But what would it have been like if it did? Jesus dies on the cross. He's laid in the tomb. And on the third day, the angel comes to him and says, hey, bro, get up. And Jesus goes, I'm not getting up. Did you see him abandon me up there? I know he wants me to get up, but I called out for him and he didn't come to me. He rejected me. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to reject him. I'm going to stay in this tomb. Sounds really silly, doesn't it? Do you know how silly it sounds? When because someone else rejected me in my past, I reject you in my present. That's what it sounds like. Now, how do I know I've released someone that I'm, I'm letting God heal an old open wound? What are the evidences of that? Two things. Romans 12 verse 14 says, bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God would bless them. One of the ways you know the wound is starting to heal is when you can pray for the person who rejected you, who broke your heart, who hurt you, who stole from you. When you can pray that God would bless them. And some of you are going, get thee behind me, Satan. I am not praying that over that person. Right? That's because the wound is still so raw. When you can pray, God, I pray you'd bless them. That's how you know the wound is starting to heal. But there's a second way scripture tells us. In verse 20 of Romans chapter 12, verse 20. It it takes it even further. It says, instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their head. Here's the way you know the wound is completely healed, when you can bless them. Not just when you can pray God would bless them, when you can bless them. Romans 12 tells us. Now, I'm not talking about this is how you heal the wound. This is how I know I have dealt with the wound, all right? It's not how you heal it. It's how you know you've let God heal it when you can pray that he would bless them and when you can even bless them. Rejection should not scare you away from love. Rejection is something God uses to prepare you to love. Let me explain and we'll be done. It's hard for me to talk about, but when I go back to college, uh, my freshman year in college, I was in love with a girl. We had gone to the same high school together, and I was going to marry this girl. I told God. I didn't ask him. I was like, hey, I'm going to marry this girl. Looking back, probably not wise, but I was so sure she was the one. She's the only girl up to that point in my life and the only other girl besides my wife that I ever said I love you to. I literally gave my heart to this girl. I was a year older than her. I went off to college my freshman year and her senior year, I got a call from my cousin. And he said, hey, congratulations. 
said, congratulations for what? What's going on? He goes, on your engagement. And I said, what engagement? What are you talking about? He goes, I saw your girlfriend and she had an engagement ring on. And I said, no, she didn't. It was probably a promise ring. Her dad probably gave it to her. I was lost in love. I did some digging around. I called her. She wouldn't call me back. I mean, I thought we were going to be getting married. She didn't even break up with me. And everybody found out that she got engaged. And I still thought we were together. And I looked like the fool. And my heart was shattered. I stopped going to class. I think I finished my freshman first semester with a 1.4 GPA because I literally didn't go to one more class for the rest of my semester. I ate three, two to three bacon grilled cheese sandwiches every day. That was my comfort food. And I remember telling my mom, I'm never doing this again. I'll never do this again. No one's ever going to make me feel like this again. For about 18 months, I held pretty strong to that. And then I met Holly Campbell. And she looked nothing like I thought my wife would. My roommate even asked me one night, would you ever date Holly Campbell? And I went, I would never even date her. 20 years later, my heart was so broken. But there was something about the way she loved me. And I look back and I think, if I would have stuck to my guns, I would have missed out on the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. And I see people every week of my life whose hearts have been broken. And that's why they don't want to connect with people in God's house. And I look at my wife and my kids and go, I don't want them to miss out. And I'm not talking about you being married. I'm talking about there are people in this house in God's family that God created you to do life with. And if you're so hurt because that person messed you over in your past, they are a horrible reason not to move forward in life. You need to let them go and embrace all of the people in the season of your life God has for you. God created you to connect. But there are most certainly some things that you and I can do that can kill the connection we were created to experience in this house. Let's make sure we kill those things rather than kill the connection. Thanks for joining us on Gateway.Live. For more information about Gateway Church, please visit us at www.gatewaylife.com.